the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to do this, Father God. I truly am excited. I love doing this. I love teaching your word. The Spirit is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to give recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I love doing nothing more than teaching the Bible and teaching from the book of Revelation, teaching about the seven churches our church. This is actually the seven churches is a a combination of all the churches. And it's basically, we could pick out any one of these and any aspect of any one of them. And we would get to where we are today in America's church, the church in America. I don't know about the other nations. I pray there's great revival going on in the Islam countries, Father God. But I know that America has had our day of visitation. I know, Father God, that we have wholesale rejected you, Father God. You know, it's amazing to me. And I'll get into the Revelation in a minute, the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses uh, 18 through 29, I believe it is. And I know that, you know, unlike Israel, Israel didn't know their Messiah, so they rejected him. But the problem with America is we know Jesus is the Messiah, and we have still rejected him. And I believe, as Dave Reagan says, America has passed the point of no return. We have not only said, God, we don't want to know you, but the God that we've come to know, we said, we reject you. And so we're in big trouble. We're seeing it every day. I don't know what that thing is called. My wife was showing me today about, uh, was it? Oh, just recently, the Baptist Convention, they went ahead and they elected a moderate as their president, the Southern Baptist, and he says there's no fear from what's going on in our schools, teaching our children that the the whites, I forget what they call it, race something, uh, race, boy, I'm not too versed in what's going on there, but they're teaching our children that whites need to sit down and shut up and that uh, we've had our day and now it's the turn of the black community to go ahead and rule and reign, as it were, that white supremacy is a thing of the past, and we're falling for it. And just like 20 years ago, they started teaching our children about communism in school, and now America has become a socialist nation on the road to communism. And now so, too, in another 10, 15, 20 years, you will see that there will be actual warfare between the races designed by communists because... America went silent. The church went silent. The church was too small to answer the call to this type of persecution from the the world, from the spirit of Antichrist, and we're in trouble because of it, and you're going to see America continue to go down. I know there's many believing for the return of Donald Trump. There's many believing for a return to righteousness in America, and you got to understand, a righteous America does not usher in the return of Jesus Christ. 
there's only one thing that ushers in the return of Jesus Christ. And if you read Matthew 24, verses 29 and 30, you'll get it. And that's written, the only thing that, that ushers in the return of Jesus Christ is the tribulation. And we are not getting away from that. I don't know why I said that. Maybe somebody needed to hear that. I did. I like it. I'm edified by the Word of God. I know where we are in God's timeline. I know what's going on. I know the dangers we're facing, and yet I rejoice. I have no fear. It's all been written, and it's all taken care of. And at the end of the day, hallelujah, Jesus Christ wins. We were talking about the church at Thyatira. Remember, Thyatira was a garrison church. It was a military fortress that was built by Pergamus. It was funded by Pergamus because Pergamus was the seat of Roman government in Asia. And there was a road there that the invading armies from the east could come right in. So they created a fortress city. That's Thyatira. It was not rich in culture, not rich in uh, society, in arts. And yet they were a warfare city. They housed thousands of troops. And it's into this environment which would Paul start building a church. And the church, once again, like the other churches, they were a great church. They were rich in works. They were rich in charity. They were rich in service. They were rich in faith. They were rich in patience. Jesus commended them for it. But where we left off last week, verse 20, Notwithstanding, says the Lord, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Quite the condemnation there. And remember, we talked about the fact that the proper rendering of that, notwithstanding, I have a few things against you because you allowed your woman, Jezebel, talking to the pastor. This probably was the pastor's wife. And she had a position of authority. She had a position of prominence in the church. And the spirit of Jezebel lived through her. And so the thing that displeased Jesus wasn't that the wife was teaching. The thing that displeased Jesus is what she was teaching. The analogy of this lady to Jezebel is disturbing enough. Jezebel was the wife of Ahab. They were both wicked rulers over Israel. And their names are always associated with rebellion and witchcraft and evil. By Jesus choosing the word sufferer, he is noting that he had grievous displeasure no one had bothered to restrain this lady or control this woman. Basically, it was the job of the pastor. Whether he was her husband or not is irrelevant at this point, at this juncture, because it's the pastor's job to control the spirits of what's going on. She has license to do whatever she wishes in the church. Who should have been doing the restraining? The pastor, of course, with great honor and honor of position also comes great responsibility. This pastor may have been a strong leader, a strong Christian, but when it came to his wife, he failed miserably. And look at the repercussions here. First, this woman was calling herself a prophetess, probably not, or she was a false prophetess, not called by God. We have similar problems in today's churches. False prophets are everywhere. Just because God calls a man to pastor a church doesn't mean his wife is called into the ministry also. You got to understand that. Truth is, the wife should always help her husband to pastor the church which is quite different from a wife helping her husband pastor the church. She was teaching, which is good. She was seducing, which is bad. Teachers today are doing the same thing, though it seems as often as not in America, our erroneous teaching is not in what we say, but lots of times it's in what we don't say. 
We think we can outsmart God. I won't get in trouble if I don't say this, or I won't get in trouble if I don't say that. That's the mantra of many who have substituted a false gospel for the real one. Truth is, you should get in trouble for preaching the gospel. They got Jesus in trouble, it should get you in trouble. So what was Jezebel teaching that offended Jesus so much? Well, let's go back to the scripture, verse 20. To teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. She was teaching the church to commit fornication. She was teaching the servants of God to eat things that are sacrificed unto idols. The Bible clearly talks about no fornication in the church. The Bible clearly talks about don't eat things that are sacrificed unto idols. The second thing, don't eat things that are sacrificed unto idols. The big danger here was that the meat that they were eating that they were told not to eat You had to go into the marketplace. The marketplace, unfortunately, was housed in all these demonic temples. And that's where all the meat was brought and the best cuts of meat were bought. And sacrifices in the temples, they hardly used any of the meat. And so they sold it in the market. And you had to go to the temple and it advertised this meat was sacrificed to Apollos. This meat was sacrificed to Zeus. This meat was sacrificed to Asclepius. Whomever the god of that particular guild was, they sacrificed that meat and they labeled it as so. And it had high honor in the pagan circles, but within the church, those were warnings and you were not to eat that meat that was designated as having been sacrificed unto idols. The first part of that scripture is, you are seducing my servants. You're not just seducing them in a sexual manner, as it were. You're seducing them to commit fornication. You are teaching them how to fornicate. The Greek word for seduce here is planeo, P-L-A-N-A-O, and it really can be used, the better term rendering is to deceive. And this is a terrible word. It, it, it talks about planeo. It means to, to roam from the place of safety. These servants of God, in Christ, there's a place of safety. But when you teach people to sin, they roam from that place of safety. And especially in today's end time environment, they run the risk of losing their salvation. Sorry, once saved, always saved is not biblical. That's what these letters show. And so Jesus is saying, you let this lady stay in your church, and she's teaching people that are putting them at risk. You can't do that. To commit fornication, the Greek for fornication is porneia. We get our word what? Pornography from that. Of course we do. And it means to have sex with another person outside of the marriage covenant. This is what she's teaching the servants that is acceptable to do. You know, if we put all this together, we can probably create a likely scenario for what was happening in the city, Thyatira. Remember, this was a city. It had the strongest trade guilds or unions within it. They were busy manufacturing, growing, and building everything that was necessary for the support of the soldiers who were placed there by the government for the protection of the seat of the Roman government, which was in Pergamus. Thriving economy, which was sustained by the hardworking members that worked in the trade guilds. And once again, if you weren't a member of the trade guild, you most likely couldn't work in Thyatira. Jezebel was guilty of the same compromise as the Nicolaitans were. She was teaching some Christians some very practical things which sounded good. Look, man, you got to work. You got to be able to support your household. You got to be able to support your local churches. They were very practical things, but they were not godly things. God says, I don't want you to do this. And whether it means you lose your job or not was not the end goal in what you were doing concerning obeying God. You know, uh, don't worry about the guild meeting, she would say. Go eat the meat that they serve there. You can't be an outcast. You must keep your job. 
Perhaps if you stumble in the midst of their false idol worship, don't worry, your spirit is saved. Your flesh is not saved. The Bible says that. But your spirit is saved. And she was thinking that that would not affect the state, the spiritual state of the people there. That was totally false. You know, uh, just a facet of life that we deal with today, the things that we put up with as Christians, the things that we compromise in as Christians today. We've got to understand the word of the Lord is pure. The word of the Lord is holy. The word of the Lord has been tried seven times in a furnace. And for us to go ahead and take the culture, like women teaching, women women being, not women teaching, but women being pastors, you know, that's just not biblical. And yet it's accepted within our culture. Well, these are the kinds of uh, little foxes. These are the kind of compromises that we do that remove the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Second Corinthians six seventeen. Wherefore, come out from among them. From who? In this case, come out from the pagan society. Come out from the pagan people who were doing these ungodly things. Paul writes, come out from among them and be separate. Separate yourself from them. If it costs you your job, it costs you your job. What? God's scripture only applied if you had a job. My God shall supply all you need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God's not able to provide for us outside of our jobs. I, I'm, I remember growing up uh, when I first got saved in 1981. I remember, let's see, who was it? It was Howard Davis, I think. Howard Davis may have been a, a mentor of Lester Summerall. And, you know, God says, I want to send you to China. I want you to go to China. He says, okay, Lord, and you guys got no money, but I'll go. So he went down. I don't think he had any money. He went down to the docks, and he just hung out there. He had his Bible and uh, maybe a little satchel, and he just hung out there. I forget how long he, he hung out there, but he hung out there until someone came and said, God sent me and provided for his passage on the boat. That's provision. That's prosperity. That's biblical prosperity right there. We need to go back to there. You know, we we don't pay attention to the Holy Spirit of God. We were in a Bible study in my home the other night, and um, we were teaching, and it was wonderful. The Spirit was upon the teaching. It was anointed. And then out of nowhere, one of the people, we're getting ready to close. I think I may have just finished my teaching. And we're getting ready to close. And one of the people that were in the meeting just suddenly started talking about Trump and how Trump was going to be returned to power. And it was totally out of out of the realm, out of the, the format. It, I mean, it had nothing to do with what we were teaching. And, you know, and... So we sent out a letter later that week. Guys, you got to follow the Holy Ghost. You got to recognize the Holy Ghost. He not only is upon me, has anointed me, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he has anointed me to preach the gospel. He not only is upon me to do the teaching lesson, but he's also upon you to listen, to receive, and to contribute to what's going on there. But it's by his spirit. There was no Holy Spirit sensitivity there. He totally threw us off. Another person made another comment. Next thing you know, it's a free-for-all about Trump. The Holy Spirit left the room and the meeting was over. That's not who we are. Well, unfortunately, that is who we are today, but we can't put up with that. We've got to be wise in the things of God, man. So, we know the scriptures. God's standards are very high, and God's word is always absolute. There can be no wiggle room there. There's no compromise in the church of the living God. And so in our meetings, we just told everybody, look, we're we're not going to put up with that anymore. You know, if we have to kick somebody out, we'll kick somebody out. If we have to uh, stop the meeting and bind devils, if we have to stop the teaching meeting, turn it into a prayer meeting and get delivered, we'll do it. But we will not insult the Holy Spirit of God. If he's got a plan to do it, it's his meeting. It's not Ron's meeting. You know, if you've got something you want to talk about, wait till the meeting is over. We'll have a discussion about that. But there will be order in God's church. 
everything will be done decently and in order. The problem here at Thyatira, this lady had upset the order of God. And when you upset the order of God, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God and he cannot work. Verse 21, Jesus is talking again about this lady. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. Her fornication, she earned it. She owned it. She made it her own. Don't forget, Jesus is coming with feet of brass to signify he hasn't really rushed to deal with this. Now he's changed his mind and he's moving a little bit more quickly and he's going to deal with it. But he says right here, hey man, I gave her space to repent. I gave her time to repent. I gave her a season to repent. And yet she chose not to. Therefore, I'm going to have to deal with it. I don't know if Jesus was actually making intercession for her at this point. He probably could have been. Don't forget, very rarely will you see anywhere in Scripture where Jesus pronounces judgment without first interceding, without first offering repentance, without first keeping things under the order and the spirit of grace. Either way, Jesus was giving Jezebel a chance. The word space is actually the word chronos. The word chronos, chronological, it means time. I gave her time to repent. He gave her a specified season, a specified duration in which she should have repented. Notice he called it her fornication. She had owned it. She made it personal. She laid claim to it. She possessed it. She had hardened her heart and willfully chose not to repent. Verse 22, okay, because of that, behold. Anytime you see the word behold, just take, get it out. Put the word wow in there. Wow. I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. So here we see that Jesus says, hey, you like bed so much? You like sexual fornication? You like immorality? I'll put you in a bed and it's going to be a bed of judgment. I'm not only going to put you into the bed, but I'm going to permit those that are committing adultery with you into great tribulation. Now, this may reference physical sex that was going on, physical fornication. It may reference that. Those that are following her may be also. They're actually called her children in a minute. But look, it's also the matter that this represents spiritual fornication. And when it talks about her children with her, we're talking about the fact that these could be the people that are following her in her ministry, the people that she took away from the faith at the church of Thyatira. Behold means wow, bewilderment, shock, amazement, wonder. Pay attention. This gives the proper scrutiny, not just a casual glance. Behold, I will cast her into a bed. Pay attention, church. This is what I'm going to do. I want your attention. This is an amazing thing that's going to happen, and you're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ work right here in the church, but I want you to notice it. Behold, I will cast her into a bed. The word for cast here. I will throw her with force. I will hurl her in a violent way of handling something. I will literally pick her up and throw her into a bed. Bed. It's a bed of affliction. That's the word here. A bed of affliction or even better, it's like a funeral. Beer. B-I-E-R. A bed of suffering. Basically, Jesus is saying to her, I will bury you. This is some serious stuff. Them that commit adultery with her, those that have willingly and knowingly partnered with her, those that indulged in the things that she was teaching, whether it was spiritual fornication or actual physical sexual fornication, either way, though it may have been both. Those that indulged in the things that she was teaching, it was not those that hurt her, it was those that were doers of the adultery and the fornication that she was promoting. It's those people that I'm going to throw into a bed with her that I'm going to judge. How important is it then to know what the true gospel says 
from the false gospel. There's no ignorance card that they're able to play here. Oh, we didn't know. Yes, you knew. Jesus holds them accountable. Adultery. Let me get back to that. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her. Adultery, once again, this is maybe not physical adultery, but it was the more serious adultery. It was that of spiritual adultery, that of having other gods before the true and living God. Exodus thirty four fourteen, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord God, whose name is, is a jealous God. And he says, Great tribulation, I will cast them that commit adultery with you into great tribulation. Not just tribulation, great tribulation. This word for great is always a word that's mixed with fear. So long with the pressure or anguish or affliction of a burden comes fear, multiplying and expanding the tribulation. Tribulation is one thing, but fear mixed in with that tribulation is, uh, what's the, it's extreme. And that's what Jesus is saying right here. I will bury you. You like bed? I will put you in bed. I am going to deal with this false teaching. I am going to deal with this fornication. I'm going to deal with this adultery, whether it's carnal or spiritual. I am going to deal with it. Except they repent of their deeds. They could not get off the hook anymore. They couldn't blame her for the adultery that was taking place, saying they were fooled or tricked. They were willing partners into this adultery. They were willing partakers of that with her, and therefore they needed to repent also. You are responsible for the doctrines you believe in. There are no excuses in the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. That is so important. You are the doctrines that you believe in. For instance, if you don't believe in tithing, whether you think it's right or not, if you don't believe in tithing, then you shouldn't be tithing. If you don't believe in women preachers, then you shouldn't be listening to women preachers in the pulpit. If you don't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit of God, then you should not be partaking in the things that are represented by that. You have to get these doctrines right. You have got to get them where the Word of God becomes alive to you. The problem is, if you're not paying attention to the Holy Spirit of God, if you're like the people in our Bible study that went ahead and they just were going to talk about whatever they wanted to with no sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of God, you're not going to be able to discern the truth because the Holy Spirit is the revealer of truth. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. Pray about the doctrines that you know. Let me write this down again. You are. Let me say it again. You are responsible for the doctrines in which you believe in. Verse 23, And I will kill her children with death. I mean... That's pretty severe. You're going to die. You're probably going to die double. I will kill her children with death, and all of the churches shall know that I am he which searches the brains and the hearts, and I will give every one of you according to your work. Kill her children with death. To kill outright. Literally, to slaughter. I mean, we, we talked about this with the Ramphaya sword last week with the church at Pergamos. When God wants to do a work of judgment, there's no halfway. There's no gentleness to it. He is brutal. He is a gracious, fabulous Lord, but he is a brutal judge. The Bible says it is a terror to fall into the hands of the living God. I will kill outright. I will literally slaughter those that are committing adultery with her. I will kill her children, and I think rather than physical children, I think what that reference is, those that are following her. I will kill the fruit of her ministry. I will end this false ministry. I will slaughter it, those that follow it. I will bring an abrupt end to it. The best understanding of this would be written like this. I am going to slaughter. I am going to eliminate. 
and I'm going to put out of commission the fruit born from her teaching. He was going to use death to do this. And the last point before we stop for today, why does Jesus do this? I love this. That all the churches shall know. Remember Ananias and Sapphira's when they lied to the Holy Spirit about how much money they got from the land? You know, and it's said that great fear fell upon all the churches. It is so important that we understand when God wants to get a message to the church through judgment, that we take it to heart, that we listen to him. Here, the things that he's doing to remove this false doctrine, the death that he's going to bring to this ministry, and very likely to the people that are also involved and leaders in this ministry, is so that all the churches would know that there would be no excuses, there would be no playing dumb, because Jesus has John writing these letters because he knows it's going to be sent to all the churches throughout the regions. He knows we're going to read it. This is a memorial to the fact that Jesus will judge and cleanse his church. We have got to give him that right. We've taken everything else from him out of the church and we've made it our own. We've got to go back to letting Jesus have authority and rule in his church. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.